Hello and a very warm welcome to 20 Minutes With, a podcast brought to you by Proximo, a leading source of news and data for the global project finance, energy and infrastructure market. My name is Thomas Hopkins and I am Deputy Editor of Proximo. I'm delighted to be joined today by Marty Pascalini, a Managing Director and Founding Partner at CCA Group. Marty is going to be discussing aspects of the Inflation Reduction Act with us today, including the use of production tax credits for soda projects, the transferability of tax credits, and the direct pay option. Uh, Marty, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, you're very welcome, Thomas. Thank you for asking me. Yes, it's a real pleasure to have you on, and I'm sure it'll be really good to get your insight on um, some of the more complex areas of the Inflation Reduction Act. But perhaps before we begin, I'm um, can I just ask you to just sort of tell us a bit about yourself and uh, your professional background? Sure. Um, I've been working in the energy space now for, I, I, my goodness, over three decades now. Uh, I started my career uh, as an attorney. I was a project finance and structured leasing partner at uh, Bingham Dana and then Bingham McCutcheon, which by merger is now um, Morgan Lewis and Bacchius. Um, I have been doing renewable energy transactions since the early 90s. I think I did my worst, first wind transaction in 1994. Uh, they looked a lot different from what we do now. Um, in 2000, I moved uh, from the uh, from large law to banking. I uh, started working in what was then the tax products group of BTM Capital Corporation, which was a subsidiary of Bank of Tokyo, which is a predecessor entity uh, to MUFG. Um, and after about two and a half years there, um, doing all sorts of structured leasing transactions, uh, principally in the cross-border and domestic tax exempt leasing space. Um, my uh, Two of my partners, uh, two of my uh, fellow MDs in that group and now partners founded what is now uh, CCA. It's been 20 years, um, just uh, May 9th, uh, that we've been together in this, uh, in this permutation. Um, since 2005, uh, my focus has been uh, exclusively on the renewable energy space, historically done all types of asset finance and if and all types of energy project finance as well, um, from you know traditional, if you will, uh, thermal generation sources and all, all all types of other fuel sources. But since uh, 2005, I've been exclusively working in the renewable energy space, and um, since about 2006, uh, renewable energy finance has sort of swallowed what our firm does. And if you kind of flash forward to now, uh, from the since 2006, you know our firm has been uh, involved with the financing of over, uh, geez, over th over 300 uh, separate transactions um, in the wind and solar space. Uh, where there's also some hydro and um, and some geothermal mixed in there as well. But the the great majority of that is wind and solar. Uh, as of the end of last year, over 36,000 megawatts of solar and over 35,000 megawatts of wind. And, um, you know, I think in the last 10 years alone, I've been involved in transactions involving uh, wind and solar uh, in excess of $18 billion of capital placed. Um, so, sort of deep background. CCA is, you know, provides all the types of investment banking services one would expect, buy, sell, side M&A and debt advisory. But folks generally think of us in the first instance um, as 
tax equity experts. It is, we've done more of it than any other entity, kind of by any measure, number of transactions, number of megawatts, number of dollars, I think uh, just, just around $5.7 billion in 2022 alone. Um, it was a good, you know, very representative year of the type of volume we touch. So we see a lot of the space working for both um, my practices, principally sponsors. Um, we also represent um, institutional tax equity investors as well. Some of my partners spend more of their time on the on the investor side. My practice is exclusively working for um, strategic sponsors. Uh, financial sponsors whether they be you know private you know effectively private equity backed developers or direct in for fund uh uh investors in the, the us renewable space thanks very much martin it certainly sounds like you've you know been working in the renewable space for a very long time and certainly have the kind of expertise that well, we need to sort of unravel some of the, the more mysterious bits of the inflation reduction act today so thank you very much and uh, perhaps if i if i kick things off just looking at some of the possibilities that the ira has kind of opened up for um solar developers in terms of which tax credit they might choose to use um what factors might influence a solar developer's decision to choose the PTC over the ITC? So in a vacuum, if you just sort of run the economics of the PTC versus the ITC, um, you know, for a, a very long time, so, uh, you know, PV was not eligible for the production tax credit. And this is one of the changes that the IRA uh, brings to the fore. Um, if, you, if you kind of rough out the economics, actually a very large majority of solar projects foot out as uh, PTC projects. Uh, I think that there's a, you know, even those with the most basic understanding think like, oh, Sunbelt, you know, very high production, so that's gonna work. But in reality, you know, as we look at across, you know, we spend a lot, obviously spend a lot of time looking at representative examples, you know, it's probably 80, 85% of projects, um, you know, at least in theory, foot out, uh, from the sponsor's perspective, economically superior going the PTC route. But that doesn't necessarily mean one would be able to avail themselves of a PTC transaction. And for, for, for you know, a variety of reasons, which I, which I could speak to. Uh, yes, thank you, Marty. And uh, I suppose some of that, some of what you were saying there kind of leads into uh, another question that I was going to ask, which is, mm -hmm. In relating to whether or not it's actually possible to secure sort of tax equity investment. Um, and so I suppose from a tax equity investor's perspective, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of a solar project opting for the PTC? Because I suppose the PTC might be uh, at least economically rather attractive from the developer perspective, but, you know, it's about actually getting that tax equity investment. Yeah, that's right, and and there's so and, and and that's where it starts to get you know the, the the thesis gets challenged. You know, the basic thesis that PTC is is, is going to a large for a large number of projects on a percentage basis look superior. Is can I get PTC dollars? And there's a bunch of things that go into that. Um, one is there are fewer PTC investors. Um, the the in terms of there there are more ITC investors out there, um, and. The, and that's there's there's some reasons for that the i you know the way itc transactions hold up there's a very rapid payback there's you know kind of reduced exposure you know to the actual uh, performance of the project in itc transaction you get all you get so much in tax and uh in the in the form the in form of the itc in the in the first year along with 
depreciation benefits and other tax losses such that the law, you know, you, it says a very short um, average life of the investment. And that can be very appealing to the to investors who sort of look at their tax capacity on a year by year basis. They, they're not project, they, they don't have the ability to project out 10 years um, or, you know, are principally really just looking for, uh, you know, they're just looking to reduce their, you know, their effective marginal tax rate, right? They're, 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 they're really looking for the credit. That doesn't mean they're not, they don't have green investment programs, but um, it, where there might be 30 some odd uh, active solar investors, you know, the, the active number of sort of wind PTC investors has, you know, been as high as the low teens. It's been, you know, you know, less than 10 in a given year. Um, so there's a dynamic there of how many PTC dollars are out there and um, the, it, which is challenging. The good side is, is for certain of the investors, they actually, you know, the, the established investors, they may, they prefer PTC over ITC and it depends on the investor, but some like the accounting they get in the book accounting with respect to a PTC better than what they, than, than the ITC, you know, this is the gap accounting profile and th that may push them one way or the other, but that, that's a very, that, that's a investor by, uh, by investor uh, factor, you know, some, again, uh, are going to prefer ITC. The one thing that I think we see is that new investors tend to start in ITC and corporate investors definitely seem to prefer uh, ITC as a general proposition. Um, and, you know, we can speak a little bit about that when we talk about transferability. Um, but the, the, the challenge seems to me right now is a combination of things in terms of absolute number of PTC dollars out there, who the PTC investors will actually allocate some of their PTC investing uh, amount, you know, kind of their available PTC dollars, if you will, to, you know, to who they'll do business with and, you know, think so, like, you know, the big um, national banks, super regionals that, you know, someone like JP Morgan, um, they, you know, they, they'll, they have X dollars a year, they may have X dollars of PTC, they're balancing, um, you know, their book and, and their clients and, you know, in a project which otherwise theoretically looks identical. Um, on the solar side, they may bid one as an ITC transaction for, you know, one of their clients, but another client who has a, maybe a very large global relationship, they're willing to allocate some of their more precious PTC dollars if, um, if you follow. Um, so newer, you know, kind of an entity which may be a um, a newbie as a developer um, doesn't have large banking relationships, you know, may struggle to find a PT, you know a PTC investor on a, at least on a partnership basis um, because they lack you you know banking relationships with the you know sort of the established PTC partnership investors. Yes, of course. Thank you very much, Marty. And uh, you mentioned sort of transfers and i think i'd quite like to talk about that uh, now is something that's sort of become available also under under the ira so um when we talk about transferability or, or transfer deals um how do these deals differ from a traditional tax equity structure so traditionally the the, the you know the, the basic construct of a traditional tax equity transaction the the, the, the very large portion of the market does is either doing fixed flip or yield based partnerships and where you know 
kind of simply speaking, you know, there's an asset, uh, whether it be solar or wind, and you have a, a sponsor who is not able to utilize the, the, the tax benefits, the, uh, the credits and depreciation on tax losses, which the, the, the project throws off. Um, because they are, you know, they may be an infrastructure, they're, they're an infrastructure, they're a fund, they are a, you know, inbound foreign that doesn't have a large US tax base, uh, or they have a large NOL. Um, so what we've done over time um, is largely through disproportionate allocation partnerships. Um, there's been some leasing, whether traditional inverted leasing, but the largest portion of the market has been partnerships. It's constructed deal where, um, Subject to a whole host of so somewhat complicated, uh, you know, tax rules, um, we allocate the tax benefits to someone who can use them. You know, think a large national bank, and the the, the lion's share of the cash flow and residual value of the project stays with the sponsor. A win transaction, you know, since it's a ten-year credit, the partnerships. You know, tend to be, you know, from the sponsor's perspective, they would like to have a partnership where the, the transaction is sized such that you're flipping on or around around the 10th anniversary of the uh, of the project going being placed into service. And a, you know, a, a solar transaction can be somewhere anywhere from five and a half years to you know seven and a half, eight years, depending on on the deal and what the sponsor is trying to achieve. You know, this means that the you have a tax-oriented investor who's in a partnership um, for up to a decade, um, and their the ultimate return of and on their capital is is going to be subject, at least in part, to the actual performance of the project. Uh, in a yield, you know, in a yield-based partnership, if the project underperforms, they when they actually reach their flip gets pushed out. Um, and so, so their duration uh, goes up, but they have real exposure to the actual um, performance of the project over time. The appeal of transfer is that I don't have to be in a partnership. Um, the, the partnership has under IRA, the, uh, the project has the ability, the project company has the ability to elect transfer and simply sell the credit directly to a purchaser. Um, you know, in theory, a, a somewhat simple transaction. In a PTC transaction, you know, would be a year by year transaction, you know, as generated PTCs would be purchased for a price, you know, it will be at a discount. Um, and in an ITC transaction, it's a one-time affair. Um, and you don't have the complexities of a partnership. You don't have um, a relationship with a partner because tax equity in a partnership transaction has a whole host of um, negative consent rights, very debt-like, you know, you know, with a sponsor can or can't do things, you know, with respect to the project, you know, think about like putting debt on the project or, you know, changing, you, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, so that there are liens and whatnot. That very much like a, you know, you know there, there there's thresholds and whatnot for these things and materiality, um, all which is negotiated. But you you have a uh, you have a partner um, who's super super conservative, 
because um, they really are only want to be there for the tax benefits. And at the end of the deal, you still have to buy them out because they're going to have a residual share. Um, a transfer deal is, you know, you don't have to worry about that stuff. Um, the PTC transfer deal differs a little bit from an ITC transfer deal. We can talk about that a little bit too, um, because they're, you know, the, the, the market is now kind of in real time. We're, we're, we're starting to see how investors are going to come at these deals um, in terms of construct, amount of due diligence and the like. Yes, of course. And I suppose it will be interesting to see how those deals sort of evolve over the course of this year. Um, just to ask a question, because we were talking about sort of what developers can and can't do in relation to transfer deals. Um, I just sort of wondered when a transfer deal might be sort of most suitable from the point of view of a developer, as opposed to using a kind of traditional tax equity structure. So I think there's there's spots where transfer is going to really play a big role, right? Uh, you know, I think that think of things like um, think you know like carbon capture I think is going to be a transfer market St a very large portion of the standalone battery uh, transactions is going to be um, transfer um, and then transfer will be you know will, will definitely play be playing a role in the traditional you know PV generation and wind space but there are going to be factors that determine why it goes there. And so think about standalone battery. Um, the thesis for a very large portion, the revenue thesis for a very large portion of the kind of standalone battery developments that we see, and we have a whole bunch that are um, in finance uh, right now, um, outside of California, maybe Hawaii, most of the projects revenue thesis is ancillary, market energy arbitrage, which are, you know, merchant at the end of the day. Uh, so you have a combination of merchant revenues and a underlying technology, which tax investors, at least the traditional tax equity investors are not entirely comfortable with from, um, you know, sort of the, um, from an O&M profile, they definitely don't like, you know, tax equity and merchant revenue is generally, um, uh, you know, contradictory uh, tax equity, you know, likes contracted revenues. So it really sets up well for transfer, right? Because, you know, obviously it's, it's ITC eligible and you don't have to worry, you, you have to worry, I shouldn't say you don't have to worry at all, but you have to worry about a, a, a lot less about the revenue thesis because, you know, all you really care about um, is that the project operates all the way through the recapture period. Um, whereas if you were doing a partnership, you, you know, you'd be worried about a whole host of things in terms of the project being able to, uh, uh, not only need its OPEX, but, you know, actually generating a pro, you know, uh, uh, generating revenues at a level that you had originally anticipated to get to your return. So that's a good example on the transfer side, um, of sort of a technology based driver in terms of the selection, uh, it's, it's a combination of technology and revenue approach that drives one towards transfer because you know, you, you, it's, it de-risks the proposition from the tax equity investor or slash purchasers uh, standpoint. When you look at wind 
in PV generation, when transfer may play a role, it, there's, there's a variety of reasons it could happen. Um, it could be the location of the project. There's, you know, we, there's, you know, a large portion of the offtake for projects now is not bus bar PPAs. They are VPPAs largely with corporates where um, sales are settled um, zonally instead of nodally. So there's basis risks, the difference between the price where the project actually sells its energy and where you're settling um, a VPPA. And there has been, um, you know, sort of, for lack of a better way to describe it, you know, uh, much more basis risk than originally estimated in lots of projects, which you know drags down the actual cash flows of the the received of the project and and you know can push out flips. They're also you know these trend types and these are largely transmission generated uh, basis issues, but they also can lead to actual curtailment where the project isn't even able to be dispatched. Again, reducing revenues. Um, so if you have a project that, you know, I'll use an example because it's one that people in the industry would, you know, immediately associate with is, if, you know, if you have a, uh, if you have a, a project in West Texas, um, where there are, when the transmission constraints are, you, you know, are, are a large issue and you're going to have basis and curtailment, um, how do you get someone to finance that project. You, know, you have to have a sponsor who still believes in the project because they're obviously building a project in a locationally challenged place. Um, but assuming that's the case, where we're, what we're seeing now in real time, uh, we have a very, one very large solar project where we just awarded yesterday, um, which is locationally challenged for lack of a better way to say it is it's it, it's it's going to be a it's 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 going to be a PTC transfer transaction um and you know and that's because you know going that route um eliminates a large portion of the risk associated you know with the project that that is present because of its actual physical location Thanks very much, Marty. And I think that gives us a really good idea of kind of the potential attractiveness of a transfer deal in terms of location and, and technology uh, in terms of a developer wanting to do a transfer deal or, or not. Um, but a, a further point and a further consideration, I suppose, if you are a developer looking at whether or not a transfer deal might be attractive is um, how have rising interest rates affected the potential attractiveness of transfer deals? One of the uh, embedded advantages we that we you know people believe that the you know transfer brought to the table was was going to be the ability to more effectively leverage right um, the uh, that, and that's because you know you're not allocating cash to a tax equity investor because they have to take a little bit of cash um, and the and you know you don't have to also don't have to worry about a tax equity investor taking more cash either uh, during the, the you know during the kind of what was the original flip period to uh, make up for underperformance or generally the, the big point is where if you reach the point they were supposed to flip they take more cash these are all issues for lenders and that's why and 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 
project level debt has always has been verboten for a long time, which is why we've always we've used back leverage structures for a long time. Transfer allows you to push the debt down to the project level, right? So no more just so the lenders actually have a lien on the hard asset. Much more tradition, it would be a much more traditional project finance deal. So, however. What we found when we're looking at transfer is the, 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 that embedded advantage starts to leak away a good bit with higher interest rates. So if you went back when we first started to look at this stuff, which, you know, say last August or uh, July, um, you know, and I can't remember when the, the grand bargain was struck um, in the Senate, uh, but the, I guess the legislation was passed in August. You know, transfer, you know, as you compared the transfer deal to a partnership deal, they were closer. Um, as interest rates have risen, that that leverage advantage sort of goes away. So, it, you know, of the factors we sort of we we think about that impact the the uh, the economic considerations of transfer versus partnership. Um, that assumed advantage is largely irrelevant now at current interest rates. If rates come back down, that will that factor will move back towards the you know it will be one of the things you could tick off and uh, as an advantage for transfer. Right now, since rates have come up so much um, on a relative basis um, and in a relatively short period of time, um, it's mostly irrelevant at the current rate level. Okay, so. Essentially, if we were to return to a low interest rate environment, some of the extra leverage from kind of project level debt might make a transfer deal sort of at least equivalent to, you know, a, a traditional tax equity partnership in terms of how much you could raise, um, but or, or potentially give it a slight advantage, but that would have to be a, a low interest rate environment, most probably. That's right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, I think that, that's uh, really sort of clarified that point quite a lot. So uh, thank you, Marty. And I, I suppose the, the last point I'd, I'd make is a sort of the third kind of option that you might look at now with uh, tax equity, and this is the the, di the direct pay route. Um, so how might the tax equity market change if tax exempt entities such as pension funds begin to partner with renewables developers via the direct pay route? It's a little unclear. Um, there is, um, there are, you know, issues associated with, you know, tax exempts participating in 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 uh, in partnerships where you, um, and the rules are somewhat complicated, uh, where there are, you know, limitations on. Uh, the use of accelerated depreciation, and, and you have to measure the amount of tax exempts within a within the act, within the investor and, and the like. Um, and one of the questions that people have been asking is that, uh, you know, putting that factor aside, is that you know, the IRA, you know, allows tax exempts that own projects directly, you know, to apply to the service for a cash payment for a hundred cents on the dollar, you know, direct pay. And I, the industry and its sponsor side have been asking whether you know a partnership between a uh, you know a developer sponsor entity and a tax exempt would qualify for you know the direct pay uh, for the share the credits that kind of that, that you know sort of belongs if you will or is allocated to the um, to the tax exempt entity. Um, 
I think that, that the tax bar is assuming that the answer to that is no, that you couldn't work through a um, a, a partnership in in the in, in the manner that you know we do now, um, and actually we do in tradition. Even if you're doing a thermal finance project, you might have uh, you know. Uh, you know, several equity investors who are going to participate, you know, effectively through a partnership. Um, and that the, that the, that, you know, the, the, I'm now using air quotes that, that, that the partners, you know, this, you know, you know, foreign developer plus, you know, um, pension funds, which is going to have a direct ownership interest in the project, but actually have to be tenants in common at the project level. Um, and that raises all kinds of complications. Um, unclear to me whether any of this is clarified as part of the um, guidance, because I think now we're, we're sort of down to the transfer guidance at this point, or at least in all, all the guidance that's come out has been preliminary anyways, uh, and I'm sure the transfer will be the same because there's going to be a bunch of questions still unanswered. There may, you know, th 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 these are the types of things where we're looking for, you know, some, uh, you know, some direction from the service on. Yes, of course, but certainly, I suppose what we've discussed today is a, a number of different options and um, sort of additional possibilities, additional routes for tax equity investments, um, you know, in the US now following the IRA. Um, Marcy, I'm, I'm very sorry to say that I think that's all we're going to have time for, um, but thank you once again for joining me on the podcast. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you. And yeah, it was a really fascinating discussion. Um, before we end, I would just like to remind listeners about the Proximo Europe 2023 Financing Infrastructure and the Energy Transition event, which is taking place in Lisbon from 14 to 15 June. Um, more details can be found on our website at proximoinfra.com. So do, do be sure to sign up. Thanks to everyone for listening and do join us again next month for more of your latest project finance, energy and infrastructure news and analysis. Mm -hmm.